Ratchet Done Podcast. It's yours truly, Julie Jones, with the adventures of Julie Jones. And each and every week, I bring you amazing guests from around the world. And I just absolutely love these podcasts because you never know where the conversation is going to go. And we always do a little pre-conversation before we jump on and record. And we were having a great pre-conversation already. So I am super excited to welcome my friend, Jen. I should have I should have made sure. Hocken or Koken? Koken. 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 Yes. Oh boy. Like like the drink or the drug. Who am I, I to judge? I don't judge. Should have said a bad word there, but not really because it's the Get Shit Done podcast. <laughs> People spell my last name that way all the time. I'm like, really? How did you get? How did you? Mm, yeah. I know. It's C. I know. Well, for the listening audience, it's C O K E N. You know, and you would say Koken, right? But like, I mean, you never know because there's all these like weird pronunciations of people's yeah. names. Like, I think I have it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoops, screwed up Whoopsie another doopsie. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to be here with well, you. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh my gosh. We got introduced by a mutual friend and obviously she knows both of us so well. Because again, like once we met, it was like that instant like, oh my gosh, where have you been all my life? Like, we're we're destined to be friends. <laughs> yes, we're spirit animals for each other. Although I think I'm not supposed to say that because that's like grabbing somebody else's culture. We we inspire one another. I don't we know. Do. Okay, we do. you can go with the spirit animals. Like, okay, <laughs> you're my spirit animal. You're my totem. <laughs> you're my you're on my totem. Yeah, we're gonna do that. And again, if like I get you know like shut down by the FCC, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, let's get started with you. I really want you to be, you know, like the show's usually about my guests. So who you are, you know, what makes you so unique and what you bring to the party. So the floor is yours. Oh, thank you so much. Well, my name is Jen Koken, as you said, and I've been a coach over 25 years, which is crazy. My my background's actually in politics. Um, spent 30 years in politics, helping get people elected at the local, state and national level and working on issues and getting nonprofits started. And at the same time, I was coaching for a big company. So I bring this mishmash or this combination of visionary. And that's one of, that is my secret sauce is I help people craft a vision that gets their ass out of bed in the morning, a vision that's bigger than the crap between their ears. But I marry that with the practical of, okay, now that we have that vision, What does it look like manifested in the world? And how do we have a plan of action so you can produce results really, really quickly? I love working with clients who are rebellious the way that I am. Yeah, bit of a rebel. Love that. Yeah, that's another, you know, commonality that we have. Like you tell me no, and I'm like going to figure out yes all day long. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So they're they're rebellious and they're definitely purpose-driven. They see their impact bigger than themselves. And they're ready to get out of their own damn way. They're clear that there's some way they're tripping themselves up and they want to get to the root of it. I have like a piece of cat hair or something on my face. Okay, it's gone. Um, so they want to get out of their own damn way so that they can fulfill that purpose and that destiny. And they need that clarity and and confidence and laser focus. So those are my favorite, favorite kinds of people. And I think that is what makes me distinct is that I bring kind of the the practical with that visionary. I mean, you could call it the woo-woo, you could call it the spiritual, but I'm, I'm, some people would tell you I'm very woo-woo and spiritual, but in my coaching, I'm not, I'm very practical. But at the same time, I realize 
you know, nobody wants to go through the motions. Nobody wants to wake up and go through the motions. Nobody wants, no, nobody is here to like, you know, tick off the hours until they head home. Right. I think of Pink Floyd, the wall, where's that, that whole video of the factory. Nobody wants that. We want to know that we're somehow being used for a purpose that's bigger than who we are. And that is what I love helping people craft. I kind of, I'm the vision whisper. I pull it out of them. You know what? I love that because it it reminds me of a couple of different things that, you know, like on my journey and some of the things that I coach and talk about. And one of my favorite sayings that I like to, to use is if your why doesn't make you cry, it's not strong enough. And yes. that's really where you talk about people's purpose and that vision, right? Because you need to know where you're headed. Like sometimes I will say yes to life opportunities and then figure it out as I go along, right? But I still have an overall like purpose of where I'm going and how I'm leaving an impact. And for so many people, if you don't, like then you are all willy nilly a- along your path. And that's why people struggle. Yeah. I also think when you don't, I love that you said, if you don't have a why that makes you cry and not cry in a bad way, but actually inspires you and breathes life into you. So you're moved to tears. But I think it's also when people, uh, they struggle and they're going through the motions or they reach a plateau. You know, I always equate it when I was a kid, I loved theater. And what would always happen to me, the moment that a show closes like, wait, wait a minute. I was looking forward to opening night. We had opening night. We had the play. And then the curtain, the final curtain's down. And I would get into kind of a sad, depressed state because I no longer had that vision of what the future was for me. So I think when leaders reach plateaus or when they have plateaued or when they are struggling or stopped, it's because their vision isn't big enough. It's almost like they've outgrown the vision or they fulfilled the vision and they need to expand outward. Well, there is because the vision can change as well. Like you said, like, you know, it it evolves because I have a friend of mine as well, too. Um, and like I, and on my podcast today, it's been amazing because like I get these downloads. Right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I have to introduce you to this other friend of mine who like does a lot around vision, but her vision has shifted in such a significant way. She still teaches about vision. But how she wants to incorporate that vision, you know, with a new different type of clientele to me is what, you know, we need, right? Because we're ever shifting, ever dynamic. And sometimes we think we've stumbled upon it. And really, like, that's why it's so important to hire people like Jen, I'm just going to say, is that because any of us, any of us who are coaches, we all have coaches that help us. Because when you're in it, you only see things a certain way. That's why I wear these. You'll love these, Jen. Because <laughs> <laughs> eventually, maybe these, like, I'm going to eventually put these podcasts, like, on some type of video, right? But for those of you listening in, you know that I'm the googly, you know, googly-eyed aficionado. And so, like, I just put my googly-eyed glasses on because they're a reminder of when you're in it, you see things a certain way. It's your yep. perception. You need to find qualified people to help you see beyond what you see. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You know, we can't see the back of our head, but a coach can, right? And what's interesting to me, because I was just crafting an email this morning about where my vision came from, the way that I distinct, because I think a lot of people have different 
thinking around, you know, how do you, what's a vision, what's a mission? And what I always say is your vision is outward facing to the world. It's the impact and the legacy you want to leave. Your mission is your piece of it. It's about you. And so for me, my mission's changed, but my vision has stayed true. And it came out of 9-11. So I was on a bike ride from Montreal to Portland, Maine. We were raising money to find a vaccine for HIV. And we had gotten into Portland on September 10th. And the 11th, we were packing to leave and saw the plane fly into the building and like sat down stunned. Airports are closed. Highway was closed. We finally were able to rent a car. And as we're driving across the George Washington Bridge, we had the windows open because it's September and it was warm and the smoke began to waft into the windows. And we like immediately closed the windows. I'm doing a roll-up motion. Remember the cars that used to roll? I'm like, there's there's no roll-up windows anymore. So we closed the windows, but that smell stayed in the interior. And then, you know what, Julie, we tried to take pictures. And I really feel like it doesn't matter what you believe, but God at the time was like, no, you can't put that on film, even though so many did. None of our pictures came out, but those memories are seared into my brain. So I get back home to DC and I have got to, in four days, walk up to the front of a seminar I'm leading where everybody there had experienced the same thing. I was scared shitless. I mean, I I was like, people are going to look to me for my leadership of how do we rise above this, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, I don't know. Freaked out, not grounded. And I talked to one of my coaches and he said, well, he goes, where are you going to stand? I said, what do you mean? He goes, look, he goes, you know, uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, they both had visions or they were taking a stand for something. You don't need evidence for that. You don't need evidence to take a stand. You're just like the rock in the river and you will the river to go around you. And I said, well, when I was really thinking about it, you know, it was in my mind, what I thought about was how often people don't feel heard. And those hitchhikers didn't feel heard, rightly or wrongly flew the plane in the building. I was like, a lot of people are listening now, unfortunately, and we're at war. What if we had a world where nobody had to resort to violence to feel heard or known or honored or appreciated? So my vision for the world is a world of people at home with themselves, where each and every person is known, honored, and appreciated for their unique gift and contribution, which is why I work with people on crafting their unique contribution and their vision. You know, my slice of it has definitely shifted and changed over the years, but that is what gets me out of bed and moves me to tears and forces me to, you know, let go of my negative thinking, but also when I'm ticked off. Like it, it allows me to open my heart to forgiveness at various times as well. Well, and it's so important what you talked about because of the fact that there's those moments and for all of us that, that are life-changing that really have you step back and really take a look at how you're doing things. And when you were talking about that, it just really made me realize like, you know, you talk about the fact that where people are like to be seen and to be heard right? Like that's what we're human beings, you know, like nobody wants to be ignored. And I'm such a huge proponent of making eye contact, like passing people, making eye contact, giving somebody a smile, even a high, right? Because in like less than five seconds, you can totally impact and change somebody's day just by acknowledging and recognizing who they are in that moment. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse, you know, than like just people walking by each other. And in my opinion, I think that that was probably one of the hardest things when we went through with COVID is wearing the masks, how they hid 
part of people's faces. Like I was still smiling behind my masks because people can see it in your eyes, but it was just that loss of expression. You know, we wanted that human connectedness and that just kind of took, you know, it away from. from Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I, I have days when I do that and days when I don't, you're right. It makes such a big difference when you, or I'll say to somebody, if, if I'm calling a place for a service or I walk into a store, I always start with, how are you? And they're like, what, what, what? Yeah. How are you? What you're asking me how, yeah, I'm asking you how you are. I'm good. How are you? And they always say, thank you for asking. I never get asked that question. Like customer service people, they just, people are yelling at them. So yeah, it makes all the difference that one split second. Well, and give a different answer for a change, right? Because we're so conditioned to say, I'm fine. I'm good. And like, I'm always awesome, fabulous. And boy, that stops people in their tracks as well. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, uh, like, I'm six feet above ground versus six feet below. below. <laughs> you know? So it's like, today's a great day, right? But those are the kinds of things because we get in such hypnotic states, like just to shift people. So, you know, it was new new to me to find out today. So you started a career in in politics. So how long were you in that? And was there a, like a defining moment in that, that you realized you like had to do, or maybe not had to do, but that you wanted to do something else. Because I believe that in every life experience, it gives us more tools to be able to do what we really want to be doing. Yeah. So I was, you know, I had this dual life, I guess you could say in a lot of ways where I was doing politics and I was a coach for a big company. And and I completed that coaching engagement 2015 after 18 years because I wanted to, I loved what they were doing, but it was very head-based and I wanted to, to start exploring, you know, how do you master your intuition? What's the spirituality that's connected to um, human beings? Where, how did, what does embodied leadership look like? I wanted to look at different disciplines. And so for me, I wanted to be more well-rounded, but I was still working in politics. 2016, walking into my boss's office. So at the time I was working for a solar company And my job, I started their municipal lobbying arm and I built a team of 12 and our job was to go make sure that the company was the company of record to install solar. So I walk into my boss's office. He has to meet with me Monday morning and he pushes a folder across my desk and he goes, I'm sorry, but your services are no longer needed. And I go, get the fuck out. And he goes, I'm not kidding. And he had this tear and he goes, look, it's not at all about performance. We're reorganizing the whole company. They were moving more toward commercial solar than personal solar than individual homeowners. And I asked if I could, because I said, who else on my team are you laying off? And it was like half my team. And I said, can I do it? And there's also some things I need to complete so that you have all the materials. Because I was really committed to leaving the place better than when I came there. So I stayed, we did all that. Me and the team went out for drinks afterwards. And I woke up the next morning and my first book came out that day. I knew it was coming out. I just wasn't sure when it literally, Julie, was the next morning called When I Die, Take My Panties. And I was about to go to a conference to have my table with the book. It's a it's a memoir that we're now, we just finished the script and we're going to be making it into a movie, which is super exciting. Um, but I was going to set up a table at a conference and a friend of mine's husband, who's an event planner, we had a call scheduled, whatever he said in those five minutes, I was like, you know what? I think there's something bigger here. This is the fourth job I've been laid off of in the years, my seven years of writing or my, whatever the time that I was writing the book. 
And so I thought then that my purpose was to educate women about ovarian cancer. And it was for a time I did TV and radio and all this stuff, but it was really hard for me. I felt like I was reliving my mother's diagnosis again and again, couldn't do it. And one of my coaches said, look, you loved coaching. You should go back to coaching. Okay. So I began one-on-one coaching. And then, you know, it was like three years of me figuring out like what works, what doesn't work until finally I came to the point that I am now where I'm crystal clear about who I serve and how I serve them and making a huge difference. And I love what I do. And I love coaching people in group. I still have a couple one-on-one clients, but what I love to do is speak at events, lead workshops and retreats. And then I have a group coaching program that moves people through this curriculum I have to create their vision, their mission, their core values, and then a six-month plan to like knock their goals out of the park. So that's very briefly how it all came about. (laughs) Well, and I love it because, you know, so much similarity again, like we all find each other somehow, like we all, you know, migrate towards each other because those are the things that I love to do too. It's the speaking, the engagement. Um, you know, I just did my first um, live event uh, the beginning of November and, uh, you know, somebody asked me, well, what was your favorite part of the event? And it was the on the spot coaching, like somebody would say something and I'd be like, okay, are you open for feedback? And just, you know, being able to help and support people through that. And because you're in a group, you know, full of people, just like with group coaching, Right. Like you're talking to one person, but it's applying to so many others. Yes. And like they're seeing themselves and they're getting their clarity and all those kinds of things because believe it or not, people listening out there, we're more alike than we think we are, right? I mean, all human beings having all experiences and that's why stories are so important so people realize that they're not alone. So tell me more because I remember us talking the very first time about like this whole movie thing and stuff. So how exciting oh, yeah. is that? So talk a little bit about like, is there a, a game plan already in place or are you just kind of in the initial process or where are we at with the movie? Well, so the I hired some screenwriters. As it happened, I'm part of a networking group. And one of our questions we ask each other is, and it's a networking group of women-owned business, women business owners, what's your big ask? And so someone said that to me. And I said, well, I said, I've always wondered if there's a, there's a there there with my script because my whole intention of the book was to have a platform to educate women. And I know of three women whose lives were saved after reading my book or hearing me speak and they got diagnosed stage one, which is really unusual for ovarian cancer. It's usually diagnosed stage four, like it was for my mom. So this woman said, I used to be an actor in Hollywood. I know a screenwriter, I'll put you in touch with her. So this woman, Jessa, and I got on the phone and just hit it off, like peas and carrots, just like you and me. And what's great is she said like, well, do you want this to be kind of a Hallmark movie? I was like, oh God, no. You know, it is a memoir about my mother dying from ovarian cancer. I'm a stand-up comedian. I used to do stand-up comedy for years. There's moments of funny, but we've got to make this funny. We've got to make it uplifting. But I want something at the end that's like, for more information, go here so that we have a way to do this. She's like, okay, let me talk to my writing partner. If she's on board, we're on board. That was back in May. And I uh, got some investors to invest in in hiring them. And in uh, July, I flew to LA and they had set up a read. So there was all these actors who were reading the part so we could hear everything out loud. And from there, we made some more tweaks. And as of about two months ago, we filed the final script with the Writers Guild of America 
Uh, we have the tone reel, which a tone reel is about two minutes and they take snippets of other movies to give you a flavor of the movie. And we have the slide deck to go out and sell the, sell the script as well as the budget and the day of shooting schedule called The Dude. And what started as a memoir about my mom and I's relationship and her dying of ovarian cancer, are you ready? Is now a romantic comedy set in a retirement community in Florida where they have nude speed walking and nude drum circles against a backdrop of Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, I got to get your autograph now because I can then say, I knew her when, you know, like when I see your name and bright shining lights and everything. (laughs) Well, you'll get invited to one of the, one of the premieres. Yeah. I just think it's going to be, it's going to be a fun, uplifting, but really poignant, um, you know, a number of themes that came out of the book of learning to find happiness right where you are, instead of thinking it has to be outside of you, uh, learning that people can age authentically. I hate you know, as a 58-year-old, 58-year-old woman, I hate age gracefully. What in the actual does that mean? Does that mean like I got granny sweater on and a little whatever hat on and I'm just supposed to be like all subdued? I just got this t-shirt that said, nice old woman, more like battle scarred, whatever warrior princess or warrior goddess or something like that. Because people always mistake me for a nice middle-aged woman. I'm like, honey, you don't know the half of it. I will cut you when you are sleeping. (laughs) 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 I know. Well, again, you know, it's, um, it's funny because I'm a Gemini and I blame it on my Gemini, but it's probably like there's some other part of my personality. Like I'm always smiling and I'm always pretty happy. And when I was a police officer, the people that worked with me and my partners, they knew that if I stopped smiling, it was game on. And it was like, and it would switch just like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd be fighting or there'd be be all hell breaking loose or whatever it was. But they always knew it was coming because the finger would come out and I would be like, look, and I would stop smiling. And that was it, you know? So I think we all have that within us. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that age gracefully because I sure as hell, you know. (laughs) No, that's why. And what's funny is Jess said to me, she goes, I felt like your mom was keeping me up at night until I had this piece of aging authentically, like you can do whatever that, because my mom was teaching tap dance, tap, you know, she was a, a teacher and an educator, worked at NASA, but she loved the theater and she loved to act. And she was a dancer. And so she was teaching tap class in this 55 plus community until probably a week or so, couple, even a couple of days before she actually went into hospice because wow. that was her way. Yeah, that was her way. She used to call herself the Energizer Bunny, which was not at all why. Well, and, and you know, and it's a choice, right? Because like so many people, like you get a diagnosis like that and then it's the decision is to be made. Like, how do you continue to live out the rest of your life. Cause you can curl up in a ball and go into a fetal position or you can say, look out world, here I come. Like I still yeah. have, I still have shit that I want to get done. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. August of 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm fine now. But the moment that I found the lump in my breast and I had gone through all the genetic testing because of my mom's situation, found out 87% of breast cancer is not genetic at all. I was like, what? Yeah. 
So I found the lump and there was a while there where I did not know what the future was going to be. Did I need chemo? There's chemo brain. How I, how was I going to coach clients? And I kept my circle who knew about it really, really small until I could be the author of my journey. And it was a moment where I was getting ready to step into the shower and I heard this song I had never heard before. And, you know, I'm not going to say, I said to, you know, that thing that talks to you, I'm not going to say it because mine will go off. That thing that talks to you, you know, I said the lyric and it turned out it was this, a song called One Day by Mata Siahu. And the lyric goes something like, you know, um, every day I lie under the moon and thank God I'm breathing. You know, I thank God because I'm here for a reason. And there was a moment I was like, okay, it's not my time. This is just a blip. This is just to remind me to slow the fuck down and pay attention and take care of myself. And I knew there was something so much greater, but that was key for me, was taking care of me and my body. And you're right. What's interesting to me is it takes those like moments where life hands you that kind of thing to have people stop and take stock and go, wait a minute, what's my life for? What is my vision? And I think us as coaches, our job is to say, you don't need to have that life moment happen you can reflect right now. Don't wait for something bad to happen. Really sit back and think about what's your gift for the world and how are you going to fulfill that? Well, absolutely. You know, I, I just released a television show and some of my episodes have been coming out. And one of the, the guests that I had on that, you know, she had her 16-year-old, you know, pass away. Mm. And, you know, she came home, she found him. She in- intuitively knew that, you know, that uh, she just knew that that was going to be the case when she got home. Right. And like the part, the premise of her, her episode was that, you know, at that point she made the decision as to how she was going to live out the rest of her life. You know, I mean, I, I've heard, cause I don't have biological children that losing a child is like the, one of the worst pains that you will ever go through. Right. But she, at that p- point made a decision that it was not going to define how she lived the rest of her life. But then she also talked about just what you talked about. It doesn't take a life altering moment to make that decision. Every day we are faced with decisions or, you know, things that, that happen. And, why wait? Like, cause that's my premise. Like, you know, everything that I do is stop waiting, start living because at any given moment you could have that life altering, you know, moment. Right. But why, why wait for it? Like, you know, like just make the decision today to say, okay, today's the day that I finally am moving forward with what's most important to me. And you touched upon too. I love the idea of like the self-care because, more and more, that's the one thing that I keep coming back to is it doesn't do anybody any good to be running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Like that is not the point of life. And that's why I'm telling people get off the hamster wheel and figure out what's most important to you, you know, and spend that time with the people you love. They don't want things, they want experiences. Absolutely. And I loved what you said about, you know, that her uh, child, son dying, isn't going to define who she is. I think, you know, that's one of the reasons I stopped being on the book circuit because I didn't want my mom's ovarian cancer to define who I was. That's also when I finally went public with my breast cancer, we started a whole hashtag check your chest campaign because mammograms were down 40%. And we said, okay, let's make this something bigger. But I also think we don't have to let the fact that we're quote unquote shy 
define us or that we're a woman define us or that we're this way or that way. All of that is just made up nonsense in our head. You get to create who you are. Our instrument as human beings is using language to invent the masterpiece that we are. And then our job as coaches is to carve away everything that isn't a match for who you truly are to get to the essence of your soul so you can be fully expressed as a being in the world. Well, and it reminds me of like when I had gone to a personal uh, personal growth class and they talked about at the moment, like, you know, something happens in our life and there's like no inherent significance in that event. It's what we assign to it, right? Yep. And so that's exactly what you're talking about. You know, there are there are episodes like you and I could be sitting in a room, right? And like they share something. I'm crying, you're laughing. And it's like, you know, and people are like, oh my God. It's like, why? Because of my life experiences, your life experiences and how, again, those filters, how I'm seeing, you know, my life and how you're seeing your life, right? Yep. So it's like, you can change the story at any given time. Yes. Yes. And one of the tools that I teach my clients all the time is how to separate fact from fiction. If you're upset, if you're upset about anything, write out the story of it. And this person did that to me and blah, blah, blah. They did that. And I'm blaming that person. And my father was a piglet, you know, and he never got in a Disney movie. And that was because I never am front and center either. And that's the way the whole thing is going to go down. After you vomit onto the page and I tell, you know, and journal it, don't type it out because it uses a different aspect of your brain. Put, give a, give a timer to yourself. If you hate journaling, no worries. Give yourself two minutes to complain on a piece of paper and then take a highlighter and go back and highlight the facts. There will be few. The rest is to shizzle with makeup between our ears. I know. And you know, the other thing that like the same personal growth class, like, you know, you learn so much sometimes is that they had you tell a story from victim. Okay, yeah. so like something that had happened to you, right? So like, you know, I mean, everybody, like the, the room is charged with energy, like when you tell your victim story and then they shift it around and then they tell you to take responsibility and tell the same story. Like, look at what your actions were that played a role in that same thing, right? And then, and like all of a sudden the room, different energy. People are like, like there's this dawning of like, oh my gosh, yes, I did play a role in whatever, yep. you know, whatever it was. Right. And yeah. once you do that, like when I've, you're, you're able to take this class, like I've done volunteering for this class and everything else, you, you do the same exercises, right? Well, then once you've done responsible, it's very difficult to go back and tell that same story from a victim yes. mode. You know, like you keep shortening it, right? Like you condense it because it's like you realize, yeah, I played a role in that. (laughs) Well, as I, you know, we've done those same classes together. Two things about that. One is um, when, you know, you have to tell your story to another person and the, you know, this woman turns around so we can tell our story to each other and she's laughing while I'm telling this terrible tale of woe about my personal life and blah, 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 blah. And I'm getting madder and madder as she's laughing. And I get to the end and she's like, I am sorry. I am so sorry I'm laughing. And I know you're supposed to keep telling it until you like literally get sick of hearing it. But give me a minute, let me tell mine. Her story was exactly mine. Like to a T, same like number of bad boyfriends, all this stuff. And we were both so shocked about that. And then, as you said, it's like, okay, now take responsibility. Well, at first you get pissed off. Like, what do you mean? 
But as they say, the truth shall set you free, but it'll piss you off first. Because you don't want, it's like, no, you don't understand. Yeah, but you were there. So let's just take the case you had something to do with it. Mm. Right. <laughs> mm. 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 Okay, so those of you listening in, you know, like start looking to where you can take <laughs> responsibility. They're probably like, people are probably listening in and these like, they're like, these two crazy nuts. Like, who, what the hell are they talking about responsibility? <laughs> it's not my fault. No, right. it's not your fault. You're not to blame. And you can take responsibility. They're probably saying it's their fault for listening into this podcast. <laughs> I've never listened to this podcast. Ooh, no, I don't think they'll say that. <laughs> I chose in, right? So, Jen, as we're kind of like, you know, we're winding things down because I like, I know you and I, we could be talking here for like for an hours. hours. I was just thinking right? that. I know. Right. So, <laughs> is there anything that like is still on your heart or something that you were like hoping that I would ask that you want to share? Like, whatever it is, you know. Shout out your message. <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think this, because I've been thinking a lot about this, that, you know, people keep talking about COVID as the great equalizer. I don't, I don't believe that, but the part that I do believe is that like those moments in life where bad stuff happens and it causes you to wake up and think about your life, I think COVID had everybody realize life's uncertain, but we know life has been uncertain all the while. There is no certainty, right? But I think pre-COVID life was a bit predictable. We could predict trends or supply chain or our kids, or I don't have my own biological kids either, or friendships, whatever. Now life's uncertain and unpredictable. So when it comes down to it at the end of the day, the only thing you have control over is yourself. And when I talk about personal responsibility, I talk about people's ability to respond to a situation. So when we get reactivated, when there's we have an unwanted circumstance, just remember in that moment, pause and reflect. Because you can choose how you're going to respond, your ability to respond, and the opportunity to master the mind is the ability to have a longer and longer pause between reaction and response. And that's responsibility lies between those two things. And I think that's incredibly important. And I think when people realize that, they feel more grounded in who they are because we can have some, it's not even control agency over how we're going to respond. We don't have control over our emotions or our thoughts, but some agency. Right. I love that. I, you know, that's, that's really, that's really key. Cause you know, like I, you know, it's funny because I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that COVID was the great equalizer, but I do know that I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like it just put into perspective what's important. And it also like, you know, really showed people that they're, is no guarantee of anything. And it's the same thing with life. Like yep. I tell people all the time, I don't know why I believe this, but I believe your expiration date is on the back of your head, right? So, you know, it's like at some moment, like, you know, you're just gonna be going along and boom, that's it. Like it's done. But, you know, you've waited and you've put everything off. And I think if anything, you know, that like people used to talk about that, you know, it was the great resignation and really, I heard a great phrase. It's the great exploration. Because I really think that people stopped and said, again, what is most important to me? And yeah. what do I really want to be doing? I love that. You I'm know, stealing so, it. all right, you can. It's all yours. Because I'm going to take the whole like equalizer two thing because I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. All yeah. right, Jen, how do people get a hold of you if they're looking to connect with you? What's the best way? 
best way is one of two ways, either my website, which is www.jencoken.com, J-E-N-C-O-K-E-N.com. And when you go to the website, there'll be a pop-up where you can get a freebie called Cracking the Power Code, which is where I take you through my framework for responsibility for having agency over your responses to things that are coming at you. And then if you want to get off my mailing list, you can, but get that get that freebie. And the other thing is people can just send me an email, jen at jencoken.com. Um, I have a great retreat coming up. I do two retreats a year. It's a visioning retreat, vision and action retreat. And if you want to participate, would love to have you there. If you're looking to craft that vision, that's going to wake you up every morning. That's awesome. And, you yeah. know, and again, like, there's no time like the present. Like if you've yeah. never done anything before, and sometimes when something's new, like you've got to find an expert in that arena to be able to support you. I know for me growing up, it was not, we, I didn't even know what a goal was. Like that was not talked about in my family. There was like no goal setting. There was no, none of that stuff. And then it's like, all of a sudden the first time I'm asked to, to write a goal or set a goal, I'm like, what's this? But, you know, you get the support around you, you get the coaching, you get whatever it is that you need. And now, like, you know, like now I'm helping other people, you know, do the same thing as well. So, right. So exciting. And you're brilliant at it. (laughs) I know. Final question for you is this. This is the Get Shit Done podcast. What are you doing to get shit done in your own life this week? What do I do to get shit done? Well, this week, yeah. What are you doing to get shit done in your life? Oh, what am I doing to get shit done? I'll tell you something. I um, have a morning routine that sets me up for success. And so I actually have a grid on my bathroom mirror because when you put a Sharpie uh, draw on your bathroom mirror, you can wipe it off. But I have five things, meditation, journaling, art, some kind of art, reading a book, uh, drawing, what have you, getting outside, even if it's sticking my nose outside in the cold and, and being with friends, like either a conversation with a friend, what have you. And I make sure I'm doing those at least five times a week. And when I am, I know I'm in the groove, but I think having a physical reminder of that does more for me than going, yeah, I really should do that. Seeing it on my bathroom mirror makes all the difference in the world. So write, write shit on your bathroom mirror to get it done. I love it. Cause I tell that to people all the time too. It's like, and especially like, who cares? Like, right. you know, like you're either going to inspire somebody in your household. And if you live by yourself, who the hell cares? Yep. You know, it's like, there are no set rules. I'm all about breaking the rules. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny that you say that. Cause I was, um, some friends and I were going to do this big trip next year and they came over so that we could plan it. And I was, I just bought my place that I'm in and I was showing him the house and we got into my bathroom and everyone's crowding in. They're like, oh my God, that's so great. I got to do that when I get home. Does that come off? How do you take it off? Because I was a little embarrassed. I'm like, oh my God, I totally inspired them. That's amazing. I know. You never know. It's the smallest things that, you know, can again, have that ripple effect and then they do it. And the people that come over to their house are inspired. So exactly. I know, exactly. Jen, where we call it, it's like Hollywood squares will be like Jen squares. That's what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood oh Jen. Hollywood Jen. That's right. Yeah. yeah because you're going to be a movie star, you know? Well, like, I don't know if I'm, I'm not going to be in the movie, but I'll be, you know, I'll be in the background. So yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you can make a cameo appearance. You know, there's, there's a lot of like, like Alfred Hitchcock and yeah. just have my, my, my silhouette. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Well, Jen, it's been a complete honor and pleasure. And it's been so much fun to spend this time with you. So thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your wealth of information. 
Well, thank you for having me. I've had a blast. It's been so much fun talking with you. And you're right. We could talk for hours. I need to shut up now. No, no, that's okay. That's all right. (laughs) We're just going to do it again sometime very soon. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. And again, I know you've enjoyed this podcast. So be sure to review us and go ahead and share with other people that you know that can benefit from this information. I appreciate each and every one of you for always being here, always listening in. And as always, have a productive, get shit done kind of week. This is Julie Jones, and I'll talk to you soon. Time is our most valuable asset, and I certainly do appreciate yours. Thank you so much for listening to the Get Shit Done podcast with me, Julie Jones. If this episode was helpful for you, please subscribe and give me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. This goes a long way in helping others to find the show too. Are you ready? I mean, really ready to make the next step towards living your best life now? Then contact me at juliejones.biz to schedule your call with me. You can also find additional information on contacting me in the show notes. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode of the Get Shit Done podcast. In the meantime, be sure to live your life with purpose and passion.